and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. In today's episode, I am joined by two incredible people, good friends of mine, who we're going to be talking about the best ways to turn leads into sales. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, they've got two completely different methods of doing it. Um, why don't you take a minute, introduce yourselves, who you are, what your specialty is, and what your company is. Yeah, my name is Doug Mitchell, and uh, the company I have is Building Great Sales Teams. I'm a sales team consultant. What I like to say is I'm not a sales trainer. I can do sales training. That's fun. But I re- what I really like to do is build sales programs. My name is Sebastian Rosk. I'm a uh, speaker, comedian, and uh, I own an agency in Miami called the Podcast Launch Lab. We help folks go from idea to iTunes in 90 days or less by launching a podcast with our proven podcast launch solution. And what's really, really cool about this actually is Sebastian not only launched Doug's podcast, but is also launching a new podcast that we have starting tomorrow. So there you go. So that's uh, so Sebastian's a, an absolute great guy, and somebody talks about that. All right, so. Um, Many people think of leads and sales as the same department. And one of my worst job titles, and I'm so sorry if someone's listening to this and this is how you define yourself, is chief revenue officer. It doesn't exist. It's a made up title. There's no chief revenue officer. Chief revenue officer is what you find in a cheap company that doesn't want to divide up their departments correctly. There is a chief marketing officer. There's a chief sales officer. There's two different roles. And the person responsible for generating leads is not the same as the person responsible for turning those leads into sales. Two different skill sets need something different. But I believe that podcasts are probably the number one way to make sales at the moment. Um, What do you think about that, Sebastian, who makes podcasts? I mean, not only is it what we teach our clients and the people we get the opportunity to work with, it's what I've been able to live for the past 13 years that I've been in business. I started my first company with zero dollars. I was just having a conversation in the back about having a skateboard and a bus pass and no car. But I had the opportunity to say, hey, Doug, let's get you on the podcast. And I knew I had the opportunity to build a relationship through that conversation. If you would have told me back then that I would be helping people integrate a plan to do that for their business, meet new people, generate revenue through those conversations. I would have told you that you're off your rocker, but here we are. It's actually fascinating. Um, I was exposed to the world of podcasts in 2007. A very good friend of mine, um, he launched a podcast back then. And he said to me, Adam, you got to have a podcast. And I didn't do it. And it's one of my, like a lot of people regretted Bitcoin, but I got in on Bitcoin. That was not a regret for me. What was it? I didn't get into Bitcoin into like billions, but I definitely did good on Bitcoin. But um, I didn't get in on the podcast thing. And one of my incredibly close friends kept saying, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. And that guy is Jordan Harbinger, who is one of the top podcasters in the world. And in fact, the only reason this podcast exists is because he bullied me into making it event. He was like, when are you going to look at what I've done? I see a bully trend here with you. I get bullied a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and it works. I'm, I'm, I'm a total, I'm a victim. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'll raise my hands there. But what I, what I love about it is um, it, it's definitely been something that we should have done like 10 years ago. Uh, but it's not just about 
um, you know, having a podcast as a tool to meet people, it is also about making sales from it. Um, but there are some people in the world that are like, okay, well, I like the idea of having a podcast and talk to people about how the hell can I even make sales? So probably to Doug, how does somebody even go about making sales? You know, I've got an audience. How can I sell to them? So if we're, if we're talking about podcasts in particular, you'd be surprised that it's not necessarily the podcast. It's the content that comes from the podcast. And so something as simple as putting this mic in front of me automatically in your mind, I'm an authority because I have a mic in front of me. You know what I mean? So you could literally record yourself in a room by yourself talking into a mic. And then all of a sudden people are going to listen to your content if it gets out there in the right format. Right. And so imagine now you have a podcast and you're actually having a conversation back and forth. And there's context. And so what it does is it creates authority. And so people are reaching out to you. And now they know me as the sales guy. Doug does sales. You know what I mean? It's not even building sales teams or any of that. It's just Doug does sales. If I need to do sales, I call Doug. And so the authority and the content that you're putting out, which podcasts are beautiful because now you've got 30 to 45 minutes. And how many 30 to 45 second clips is that? And you can put out as much as you want. You know what I mean? Now you have control of the volume at which the volume of the content that attracts your leads, which is massive when you want to scale, you know what I'm saying? So uh, for me, it's the content that brings in the lead and then the lead then turns into a set. So and I like that point about it's the content that creates lead that creates sale, because I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about, you know, maybe they're going to start a podcast or they're going to try and make sales, they don't ever think about the difference between an industry and a niche. And these are two very different things. This is actually straight out of one of our playbooks, but I do want to share this with you. If you're a fitness coach, you might make the mistake of thinking you're in the fitness niche. You're not, you're in the fitness industry. That is not your niche. If you're a fitness coach, you should not have a fitness podcast. And I'll explain what I mean. If you're a realtor, you might make the mistake of thinking you're in the real estate niche. Um, But if you are a realtor, you are not in the real estate niche. You're in the real estate industry and you should not have a real estate podcast, which is crazy when people think about it. Like, why the hell? If I'm a realtor, would I not want a real estate podcast? And it's very simple. Your podcast should be in your niche, not your industry. Well, then what is my niche? Your niche is the subset of people that you sell to within the industry. And the podcast should not be about what you do. It should be about that niche. For example, if I was a realtor in Bastrop, Texas, where we're based, My podcast would not be about real estate in Bastrop. That's not enough people care about it. And I'm competing with every other realtor. Because my niche is Bastrop, my podcast would be about Bastrop. Cool things to do in Bastrop. Where to hang out in Bastrop. Who's hot in Bastrop. The top entrepreneurs in Bastrop. Um, You know, we're going to host a a cool event. Uh, It's going to be a car drive or we're going to do a charity get together in Bastrop. And the podcast would just be a here's what's going on in Bastrop podcast hosted by the realtor for Bastrop. Because now when everyone moves to Bastrop, the first thing they're gonna do is start listening to the Bastrop podcast to learn about Bastrop, to find out where to go. But if you've just moved there, you're renting, and after you rent for a year and you decide you love it and you wanna buy, who are you gonna go to? Well, as far as you're concerned, there's only one realtor in Bastrop, the one that hosts the Bastrop podcast. On the same lines, if I'm in fitness, fitness is my industry, what's my niche? My niche for fitness could be, um, let's just say that my niche is Women getting ready for a wedding. I have a 60-day program, get, get in the best shape of your life in 60 days. So my podcast isn't about fitness. It isn't about getting in shape for a wedding. My podcast is actually about prepping for a wedding. And I'm a fitness expert. 
but I'm gonna interview wedding experts, cool venues, unique locations, and it's hosted by that fitness guy. I'm like, hey, and don't forget, if you're, if you're planning on getting married, I'm the guy to talk to, 60 days or less, I'll get your wedding tip-top shape, right? And you can listen to it. This is the biggest marketing mistake everybody makes when it comes to marketing, and it is the difference between success and failure. Your niche is not your industry, and you really have to work out, okay, who specifically am I selling to? And make the podcast about that, unless I'm completely wrong, Sebastian. I, it was almost like we've had this conversation before because I literally just gave a talk a couple of weeks ago down in Cancun, and I verbatim said the same thing. It was a, gr a room full of EXP realtors, and I said, if I was a realtor, that's so funny. I would not be starting a podcast about real estate. You know why? Because people don't care about real estate. Most people would rather wake up in the morning punch themselves in the face and eat their pillow, then listen to how market conditions are with the real estate. But what I would do if I lived in Waco, Texas, I'd be interviewing local business owners. I would be interviewing anything that has to do with the in the know of Waco, Texas is the content I would be creating to your point to position myself as that go-to person on what they do. People confuse that distinction, but once you figure it out and it starts to click and you go, ah, now I get it. And that's a common conversation when, when you meet people. When I say, like, our initial conversation a couple of years ago was like, I want to have conversations with people that I can sell something to. And they're like, I never even thought about that. But I get it and I understand. It makes complete 100% sense. Well, I, one of the things I love about it is, though, like, my podcast is a really good example. I don't have the largest business podcast in the world. What I do have is almost every listener of my podcast is a seven-figure business owner. And I'm really proud that when we survey our podcast and you see how much money they make, they're all crazy wealthy. And because of that, the content I share is very detailed. It's very specific. We have actionable steps. Like if you're going to build a podcast, if you've got a bit, this is the way to do it. We're going to do it as specific as possible. The general public don't care about that. My podcast will not be the biggest or best. However, the sales from my podcast, like last month, we did over a quarter million dollars in sales from a podcast that has a couple of thousand listens. Quarter million dollars in a month to a few thousand people. Because it's a targeted list, we are only communicating with the people we want to be communicating with. And we curate that even further by only inviting people to listen to it that we know. Like We're not spamming the universe with ads. We are specifically targeting small groups of 50 people where we know everybody there is that. So, and, and this is something I've been trying to get people to understand. If you want to make a lot of money and you want your job to be really easy, you don't want to filter through the general public. You want to only communicate with the people that are very, very targeted and likely to do what you want. So with that being said, I've got a targeted list. It's a small list. It's a podcast. My podcast is very targeted to the person I want. I've got good content coming out. How am I going to make sales, Doug? Well... You become the authority in that. And then what happens is conversations start happening. And, and so what I like to do, especially with my groups and stuff like that, is offer connection calls. And, and I have a genuine. So before I became a consultant, I was still running my sales team and I had a genuine need to serve my community. And it was because they had given me so much. And uh, at the time, it was several masterminds that I was involved in. And so I told them, like, look, I know sales. I know how to scale sales teams. If you have questions about that or at the time I had already had 100 episodes of the podcast. I can tell you how I did that as well. Reach out to me. Let's connect. Let's get on a call. Probably about 10 calls in a row. You know, it was just me giving value, them giving me a little bit of value. 
not turning into customers, but that 11th one turned into a $25,000 customer. You know what I'm saying? And so it was always value first with those type of groups, you know what I mean? And then being able to turn them into clients eventually. But, you know, in your case, they're already a client pretty much. So it is about the upsell at that point. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting. We use the podcast as a way of finding new people because mm-hmm. it's a lot easier versus, hey, buy my stuff, go to my website. Right, Why don't you tune into my podcast? And after they listen a few times, mm-hmm. but again, because we're not just inviting the general public, the people we're inviting are very specific, targeted people. And we'll know, like we'll invite five people and we're like, two of them are going to buy yeah. within a few months. That's a great point because I actually use the podcast to qualify my clients. My first two episodes of my podcast are basically my Kodak system, compensation, opportunity development, operations, culture. That's how you build a sales team. So if they go and listen to that, then they really understand what I do and they come back to me then they're coming for my services, not for NLP sales training or something like that, you know? So, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think to the same point, when you're very strategic about who you're inviting to your podcast, who you're inviting to be a guest on your podcast is very, very important to get clear on too. I am only interested in most cases. Sometimes I meet some really interesting folks, already have a podcast, still want to have a conversation, build a relationship with them. Talked to a few people this morning about that. But most times I'm looking for somebody up to really cool stuff, very successful, got a great story, no podcast. Yeah. Those, those, those are my main factors. And those are really the only people I'm interested in because the, the odds of me converting them into an agency client are, are, are pretty high because we've already started to build the rapport. People start to feel <laughs> warm and fuzzy by default when you say, hey, man, let's get you on the podcast. It's like, oh, stroke to the ego, let's go. So stroking people's ego in a very healthy um, manner works incredibly well, especially when it comes to, to podcasts. Dude, yeah. And I think uh, there was a really good point that Doug made, which is a $25,000 sale. Yes. The amount, and you know, at the Smart Blueprint, um, with our mastermind, we're all about helping people increase the amount of revenue you make. Like, um, you're never going to make a single sale of $250,000 unless you have a product that is worth $250,000 that people know people pay $250,000 to make it. And I remember the first time I made a single six-figure sale, I made 100 grand in cash in a single day. I was talking to somebody and I was trying to sell him my $25,000 week-long training, which is what it was back then. Now I charge that for a day, but back then it was a week. And he said, what if I don't get good in a week? And I instantly knew that this guy wanted to spend more money. I, I knew I'd priced it wrong. Now, a clue should have been that he lives in Saudi Arabia and his dad owns a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> and I probably didn't charge enough when I said hundred grand. But um, I said, well, you probably want to buy my hundred grand package. This is the first thing I said. I didn't have a hundred grand package. I just instantly 4X the price because in my head. And he goes, oh, that sounds more like what I want. What do I get for that? I was like, oh, you'll love it. We know it's 25 grand for a week. He goes, yeah. I was like, this is four weeks <laughs> and you can call me in between the weeks with any other questions you have. And he goes, ah, oh, that's what I want to do. And then he paid hundred grand. And I was like, damn, I can't believe that worked. Right. Um, but I was, I was really happy that I spotted that this was somebody whose, whose objection was, I don't think this is enough money and I don't think this is enough time. I want to give you more. But since then we have always had products up to $250,000 in every company we have. If you want to give me 250 grand, I definitely have something to sell you at that level. What I love about this is often when I talk to somebody and I'm selling something, I start by saying, well, 
The thing that we enjoy selling the most is our $250,000 package. Let me explain. And I put all the energy into selling the $250,000 thing, knowing most people will never buy it. But every so often, it's the person who goes, absolutely. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Because you're used to getting a no. But what's cool about pitching 250 grand and really getting into the habit of showing somebody how much value they get and why it's great and you believe it and you're pushing it is that when they go, I don't want that, what do you have for 50? You're like, that's great. And it's a lot better than selling something for five. Um, but what I love about it is that doesn't mean you shouldn't have something for 47 bucks because we totally do have something for 47 bucks. And there are people, when you tell them it's quarter million, who will then be like, well, my budget was more like 100. And then you go, no problem whatsoever. Let it's, me work with that. It's so fun to maintain your composure in that moment too, yeah. where they're like, I'll take the 100 grand. You're like, no mouthful of marbles, great. Yep. Just, <laughs> just send you the wire instructions. Yeah, ex ex yeah it's, and it, it is really fascinating um, to, to watch that happen. But I do think that there is a mindset about a six-figure sale that people don't recognize. Like, for example, um, I, I just hired somebody uh, to do some work for me, and uh, it was $3,000 for some work. And uh, it was like, um, it was funny because Eve tried to make the payment with a credit card. And he goes, well, I don't take credit cards. Can you do PayPal? And the, the minute that happened, Eve was like, this guy <laughs> does not, is not a real guy. Like anyone who can't process a credit card for three grand isn't a real business. And then, and I was like, you know what? Some industries, credit cards aren't a thing. Like I get it, you know? And then she went, no, nah, he just asked me to make sure it's friends and family because he wants to save the 30 bucks. And, and you know, she makes a really good point, which is when, when you're making a $3,000 sale, you can't argue about the $30. You kind of got to eat it. Yeah. And we had that experience with a guy that we wanted to hire um, for some mindset. And uh, he charged us six figures. And or he was about to charge us six figures. And he said, if you're putting it on a credit card, I'm going to need you to pay the credit card processing fee on top of it. And we both sat down and went, yo, if we're giving you the amount of money that you can buy a house <laughs> to help us level up our mindset about scarcity and money, and you're telling us to make sure we pay for the processing fee, we believe you have a mindset of <laughs> scarcity about processing because that's the one we're trying to get over. So, uh, so no, we're not going to go through with that. Um, and, but what I like about this is there is a mindset to making those very large sales that people don't have. So, um, so Doug, Sebastian, like, what can people do to get over that if they want to, you know, I'm going to get, like, raise your hand in the audience. We've got a live audience here. Raise your hand if you have a product that somebody can right now pay you 100 grand or more to buy. Yeah, so there's like four people in the room. And that's huge. If you haven't developed this and haven't, and developing it is sitting down for a day with a pen and paper and being like, what would it look like? That's it. That's it. But develop it now. And then practice pitching it over and over again and get used to being rejected for it. Because when you make that one sale, that's worth X amount of your normal sales. And like I said, when you try and sell some of the quarter million dollar thing, your $10,000 thing is cheap. And that really helps. We've been selling six-figure products for 10 years because it's great. And there are many, many years where the entire year was saved by two six-figure sales. Like back like seven years ago, there were a couple of six-figure sales that made all the difference. Um, so yeah, so what could somebody do? So for me, I don't have a $100,000 product, but I do, I am involved in a partnership that I could, 
I literally put together a $100,000 product as you were talking. Amazing. Let's hear it. Yeah. So, you know, this is going to be the full partnership here and it's uh, it's called Crusaders. It's a consulting company, right? So I'm the sales arm of it. And uh, Tom over there is the CRM. Josh over there is the web development. And so, yeah, I could put together a hundred grand package that includes a website, a CRM. Uh, I'm going to scale your sales team and we're going to do strategic operations implementation as well on top of that. And yeah, as soon as we get back, I'm putting that together. So I appreciate you. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> you also answered my question. It's reps. It's a hundred percent reps. Yeah. The more people you get in front of, the more content you put out on your podcast, the more people that inquire about it, get them on a call, schedule them on a call. Don't do the messenger back and forth thing. I get it. Packages are sold in messenger. I understand that, but I, I want to get you on the call because then I can really identify your, your real pain points. What happens is people come to me re for recruiting and I find out their culture sucks. People come to me for culture and I find out they don't have a recruiting machine. You know what I mean? And so I can't sell the bigger packages unless we have an actual discovery call where I talk to them and I find those pain points, I'm able to solve them. And then on top of that, I get to paint that picture. I call it the crystal ball close, where you get a little crystal ball in front of you and, and say, I see your future after you use my product. And it's amazing, basically. And then you describe it to them and what a day in the life of that future looks like. I, um, I, I got one that I want to add because I think you'll like this. This is a golden nugget, by the way. Everyone listening to this, I promise you this is going to make you a lot of money if you actually do this. Uh, I don't know only 8% of people will do it, but you should all do it. Think of five people you know that could afford a six-figure product from you right now. Five people who could give you 100 grand right now. Contact them and be like, hey, can I pay you a couple of hundred bucks for your time to run an idea by you? If they can afford a six-figure product, they're going to say, you don't have to pay me. We'll just get on a phone call. I guarantee it. Worst comes to worst, you pay a couple of hundred bucks. It's worth it. You get on the phone with them and go, okay, I just outlined a brand new product, service, whatever, in what I do, that is $122,000. Like pick, don't just make it 100 grand, like something obscure. And you'd be like, but before I tell it to you, I would like to hear what you think it is. What do you think I'm gonna be giving you that would make you be like, I would totally pay 122 grand for that. Cause I just wanna hear what it is. And then I'm gonna tell you what I did and I just wanna see if they match up. You're now picking the brain of someone who can easily afford six figures. You offer to pay for it. It doesn't feel like a brain pick. They believe they're going to try and guess what you're selling. And they are going to think what would make them give you 122 grand right there. And then they're going to sell to themselves over the phone. They will then tell you exactly what it would need to look like for the 122 grand. You're going to go, damn, you're so close. Because... <laughs> It's literally everything you said and, and then add on something else that you just throw in last minute. Well, wait, yeah. more. And wow. we were going to do that. And then I was going to guarantee it. And you only have to put 20% down now to do it. Would you really do that? And that's your sale right there. Would you really? And they'll be like, uh, yeah, they invented it. Of course they're going to do it. You just made a hundred grand sale. Any of you that have a mailing list that's got some customers, you're welcome. It's a hundred grand. I accept my 5% fee for that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> That's your, that's your golden nugget. <laughs> I, I think back to your, your, your point of a couple of minutes ago that, that, that Doug elaborated on, you know, speaking in for a little bit from a different lens here, I mean, it comes back to like, what do you think your product is worth and what are you worth? And do you believe 
that you should get that amount and that you should be selling a product of that caliber. I think it, it comes back to that whole, you know, to Brian's conversation earlier, this mindset, scarcity mindset, it's all bundled up into one package of should. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, being able to recognize, you know, I, I, I went there for a long time. I was like, sell a $20,000 package. Are you nuts? It's hard enough to sell a three, but scarcity really traps us in that space. So I think it's making a, a firm decision on what we really want, believing that we can have it and then getting it out there and bringing it to the marketplace. One of the, one of the hardest things to sell, in my opinion, is priceless things until I learn a system to do it. I'm curious, do you, do you ever sell priceless things, like things that are so big that they don't have a value and then find that people think it's zero value, right? So for example, um, confidence. Confidence is one of those ones where it's like, what is confidence worth to you? Well, you won't make a nine-figure business without confidence. So confidence is priceless. Priceless is zero. Therefore, I don't want to pay for confidence. I just want to have it. But it becomes tough. And for many years, I, I, I've worked in the dating industry. And the dating industry is one of those priceless things. What is your true love worth? Priceless. How much will you pay? Zero, because it's priceless. Um, and so learning how to price things that are priceless is one of the skill sets that took me years to develop. So I'd love to hear your, your opinion. And then I'll, I'll trade it by giving you my dating pitch. And I'll be okay. my, my trade-off. So a lot of what I talk about when I go into a discovery call with clients, I told you guys at the end, you need to, to help them picture that lifestyle, create that crystal ball. And for me, the crystal ball is their peace of mind. You know, once you, once you put these systems in place and let them run and then empower your team to use them, then you have now have peace of mind and your company starts scaling, at least the sales division does, without you going in and closing the deal, without you going in and rah-rahing the sales team, without you going in and convincing yet another top closer to come into your business, because now there's systems and documents in place that run that for you. So the, the thing that you can't buy is the peace of mind, right? Yeah. But I put a $25,000 price tag on it. So my name's Doug Mitchell. <laughs> you can meet me in the back of the room. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so um, date, dating was funny because for many years, like trying to put a value on dating is really tough. And I developed the system and uh, we ended up calling it permission-based selling. And so we're all about permission-based selling. And the reason for that is to truly make a good sale, you have to do things the average person shouldn't be able to do without permission. So during the sales conversation, I will always say to somebody, um, hey, I really want to be real with you right now. But to be real with you, we have to have an uncomfortable conversation. I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation without your approval, but we're going to talk about some really dark topics because really finding true love, you have to be comfortable facing true loss. Do I have your permission to take this conversation that way? Or should we just keep it surface level? I'll let you know you're going to pay 25 grand for a day of coaching. I'm going to take you out. We're going to help you out. Like, you want to hear that or you want to hear the real thing? And what I love is I've just thrown the price out there and it's like 25K for a day. It's like, well, that's shit. I want a better explanation than that. It's like, no, do it. I'm like, are you sure? Can we go there? And they're like, absolutely. I'm like, okay. If I found you your true love, gave you the tools, that, that this is the woman that you meet and that you end up with. And, and, and you know, my, my dating was typically men, but we also teach women, but more often it's men. I was like, What's, you know, is that something that you really want? And they'd be like, absolutely. I was like, what's it worth? I'm like, priceless. I'm like, problem with priceless is it isn't an amount of money. Next permission. Are you comfortable with me giving you some scenarios so we can put an amount of money on what you truly value priceless as? 
or do we just leave it there? And they'll be like, no, no, it's okay, let's do it. I'm like, all right, great. You find your one true love, and the two of you have children. Is your one true love beautiful? Is she smart? Is she intelligent? I'm like, yeah, 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 excellent. What is the value on your children being attractive, good-looking, smart, and intelligent? And I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, well, because right now, would you agree that the women you're dating are of the caliber you want? They'll be like, well, no. I was like, so if I help you, it's not about who you date. We're talking about how successful your children are going to be in life. Put a financial number on their success. Uh, and they're like, well, how do I do that? I was like, it's very simple. Will they look after you when, you when you're old? How much money will they make in their career? What do, you do you value? Will they make six figures? They go, absolutely. Will the people you're currently dating end up with kids that make six figures? Maybe. Okay, so we've got a definite six figures a year for their entire life. Put a number on that. And they're like, well, that's millions. I'm like, great, hold tight. That's a weird number. Let's get more specific. You fall in love. You've got kids. The kids are going to have a wonderful life. I'm not going to quote the price on that. It's not about your kids. It's about the person you're in love with. She gets sick. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, love your life. Just got sick. Doctors say she's only got a year to live unless you pay for this procedure. How much is the procedure? What are you willing to pay? When do you say, no, just let her go? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, what is the number that you say, let her go? It's okay. I can't pay for that. And at this point, they're like, uh, uh, and I, no, tell me, what is that number? At what number are you like, it's, is it 50 grand? No, you'll pay 50 grand to keep her alive. Absolutely. A hundred. Absolutely. 250. No question. Half a million. Yes. Is there a number I can say where you're going to say no? No. Will it, whatever it takes. Right. Seven million dollars. You have to pay that off the rest of your life. Seven million keeps her alive. Absolutely. All right. So you're willing to pay seven million dollars for a woman you haven't met yet? but won't pay 25 grand to meet her. The minute you do that, they're like, when you say it like that, like, absolutely. And we'll try and find you one that doesn't need 7 million to keep alive. Sound good? <laughs> <laughs> that little bit of humor at the end, and that's the close. But that pitch has made me so much money because you put a price on priceless. So if, if you're in an industry where you're in the priceless industry, find a, a story that goes very dark, that puts a price on priceless, get permission. If you don't get permission to it, you're a horrible human. Don't ever do that to somebody about permission. But get permission, take it to priceless, put a price on priceless, make them laugh, make it clear that this was satire, uh, we weren't really gonna go there, but it gets them to recognize that 25 grand to meet somebody is the same as seven million to keep them alive later, or, or a significantly better deal. Uh, and we do the same. I've got like seven scripts like that. I've got one based on divorce. Like what will it, the average divorce is going to cost you 500 grand. I was like, how much is it going to cost to not get divorced? Um, so yeah, so I, I love that. All right, so let's, uh, let's keep going on. Somebody wants to start a podcast today. They're like, I'm sold. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to get 70 listeners. All the listeners are going to be in my niche. All those listeners are going to be people that can buy my product. I'm going to make a six-figure product, the five-figure product, and I'm going to sell to them. But how do I start a podcast? Well, first things first, why are you starting a podcast? I'm giving you a real clear on it. The idea of creating a six-figure product and having 70 people listen, and those are all cute and everything, but why are you really doing what you're doing? Because when we can get anchored into why we're doing something, people can feel that energy and they can feel how we're showing up with it. So getting explicitly clear on why you're doing what you're doing with the podcast is number one. Number two, what are you going to call the podcast? Because guess what? Our ideas aren't always the best ideas. So we've got to come up with some names 
and brainstorm some ideas. And then here, it's going to get real uncomfortable. We got to go get feedback from people that tell us the truth, not the ones that pee on our back and tell us it's raining. Real feedback to go, these are terrible. Back to the drawing board. So those are the first two parts. Why are you doing what you're doing? What are we going to call the show? And then from there, it's just the logistics of putting together your jingles and your intros and your outros and scripts and who am I going to talk to and how am I going to talk about it? What am I talking about? So what's a good way for somebody to identify what to call it and, and why they're going to make it? Like what exercise can they do to do that? I think a lot of people get confused with, you know, I need to make my podcast, um, you know, the Argenta podcast. And I'm like, no, you don't. What does Argenta do? Well, we're a sales training organization. Excellent. What else is there based on what you guys do and what you guys offer that we can create something catchy? Name of my podcast is called Beyond the Story. Why? Because I like going beyond what their actual story is. It's cool. Brian and I were talking about this earlier of it's great. Everybody knows how you got rich and bought a Lambo and all that fun stuff. But let's talk about the when pain shows up and fear shows up and what's that, what, the, what, what that's looked like. So being able to, to, to differentiate your business from the podcast name, but also something memorable. People are going to ask you, what's the name of your podcast? Building great sales teams is a fantastic name. We got lucky because this guy already had his name in his head. That's extremely rare when people show up in my, uh, in my office to say, I want to start a podcast. But Doug, our, his wheels were already spinning on there. So coming up with a name, I just say no more than four words, Max. Um, never, ever, 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 ever use the word podcast in your name. What are you talking about, Sebastian? It's a podcast. It's also redundant and obvious. Okay. <laughs> I'm a big fan of podcasts that have four words in the name. Actually. Correct. Yeah. Without the word podcast. And you don't need right. headphones hanging off the side or a microphone. And if you pull up my podcast, yes, I'm holding a microphone, but I don't have a little emoji image on there. So making it a, a clear, um, concise message in four words or less, preferably three is ideal. Like smart businesses do this. I good. love that. Yeah. Thanks. I absolutely love that. I love the dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. You guys are the dot, 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 actually. So you're a pair of dots. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, no. What, so here's the thing. Um, I love listening to Joe Rogan's first podcast. Have you guys done that? Have you no, I've it? never done that actually. This is requirement. Everyone has to go and watch episode one. Anyone in the room? Have you listened to episode one of the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah. Okay, I love it because I recommend it. Right, it's, it's totally worth it. Yeah. Episode one is Joe Rogan trying to work out how to use his podcast equipment, <laughs> <laughs> and you should all go and watch it because. I love like that. 2008, yeah? Yeah, because we all know that now it's the top podcast. But if you go to look at the first one, he's like, how does this, th where does this go? <laughs> like, he's like trying to figure it out. And what I love about that is it shows one, the CEO of a company knows every department. And that's him figuring it out. And he wasn't a podcast that didn't come from radio. He sat and figured it out. So I love that. Two, if you listen to that episode versus what it is now, you're going to try and copy what it is now. Actually, if you want Joe Rogan level of success or the, or the equivalent in your niche, you should start copy the first one. Because yeah. that's, that's the beginning of the journey. You don't copy someone's journey by starting at the end. And that's the mistake so many people make in business. You, you copy the beginning of the journey if you want to walk in the same footsteps. He also did not start that podcast to go, I'm going to be the biggest podcaster in the world in 92 countries. I mean, those are some pretty big uh, credentials to, to stand behind. It was just, I'm a comic, I'm on television, I do uh, ringside color for UFC. That's his jam. That's how he really was able to build the Joe Rogan brand. He had no idea that podcasting was going to come in. But to your point with the first episode, I had a conversation with uh, 
my good friend, John Lee Dumas, a couple years ago. And he said, you know, Sebastian, your first episode is going to suck. Wait a second. Isn't that the name of your book? And I got this whole conversation around podcasts suck. But my pot, he goes, I was pulling up Apple this morning, right before this interview. And randomly, Apple podcast gave me my first interview ever of entrepreneurs on fire. And when I say I cringed at the very sound of my own voice on that, and, and I took a lot from that conversation. Could look back to my, my earlier days, my first episodes too, fumbling over my words, really not stepping into who I was. And it was explicitly clear. But now I teach, one of the first things I teach people is, hey, listen, episode one is going to suck. It really is. People, some would say that's adding a negative context right out of the gates to your clients. It's also telling them the truth and helping them settle in to what the reality is. I literally just had this conversation on my way here. I had a client completely frazzled, recorded episode one. She's just in the freaking hamster wheel. I don't know. It's 22 minutes long. I was like, that's too long. I told you 12 minutes max. We need to go in there and cut some of the stuff out. She's like, I know, but I try to record. I said, can you call me real quick? I'm in the middle of, I don't know. I don't know where Texas headed to. Uh, no, I don't know where Texas uh, part two <laughs> and I got to make a U-turn right now. Uh, shocker. Uh, but uh, let's have a quick conversation. And I, I just had to jump in real quick. I said, you know, again, back to your point of asking permission. Uh, I heard that a long time ago. If I say, Hey, Adam, your, your, uh, your hair looks like shit. I'm just being honest. No, you're not. You're being an asshole. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it's always important to, to, to ask for if someone's open to the feedback because not everyone's open to feedback. Does it really look bad? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. And <laughs> Why would you ask a comic that? <laughs> so I said, um, uh, we've done a couple of coaching calls now. We're almost at the finish line here, but um, I, I need to ask you this again. She goes, what's up? And I said, are, are you open to a coaching moment real quick? Feedback, direct, unfiltered feedback. She goes, yeah. I go, get off the hamster wheel. Whatever is spinning up there, I guarantee you probably isn't true. I haven't listened to the 22 minute episode that I asked you to cut down to 12 minutes yet. And I'm sure that's okay for us to launch because guess what? Your first episode is going to suck. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to otter.ai. I want you to transcribe episode one. I want you to have all the text in front of you. And I want you to cut out everything that you think you're battling about. And then I want you to go back, grab your mic, hit record, and record exactly what you want in 10 to 12 minutes. She goes, I never even thought about it like that. So it's always really a perspective shift on there. But actually step into the fact that chances are I'm going to record this again. And it's going to suck. And guess what? That's okay. So I think being able to step into that, there's a lot of freedom available there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And it's a really good point. You, you have to be comfortable failing to get the full hero's journey. Yeah. And um, it's funny, uh, I'm starting a, a new business venture because uh, I, I habitually do that and I lean into that and I love it. And I know it will suck at the beginning. And one of the hardest things to do as a successful person is to actively do something new that you will suck at. And absolutely, I'm getting the same thing I get from everyone around me, which is like, that's bad. I don't like it. This sucks. This is terrible. And historically, I know the average person hears that and goes, well, I suck at this. I better not do it. I have learned through a lifetime of being told I suck, that I should just keep doing it anyway and listen to their advice, find the golden nugget in the mess, and then tweak it and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. And I know that within 18 months to two years, everyone will look at what I'm doing and be like, oh my God, how do you do that so consistently? I'm like, well, after 18 months of being told I suck and tweaking and, and changing it, now I'm winning. And people don't want the 18 months of failure that leads to that component. So like a um, good example of this is 
as a dating coach, when I, when I came out as a dating coach in 2006, I was like, came out like sexuality. When I came out as a dating coach in 2006, um, I, uh, you know, it, it was, everyone was like, well, what, what qualifications do you have? And I'm like, none. I just like dating. And at that point, I decided I should probably get some credentials. And so I started picking up. I joined the American Psychological Association, and I started my journey in education. But it took me 10 years to get my degree in psychology. And during that time, when I first started, everyone's like, that's going to suck. I'm like, it's an accredited degree. I'm doing it online, but it's accredited. And they're like, whatever, it's not the same. You don't get the experience. You don't get to go to the football games. Let's ignore all of that. Um, they're like, you should be able to do it in three or four years. It took me 10. Ignored that as well. And when it finally came, I got my, my degree with honors. And uh, the minute I got the degree, I was like, well, how long is the master's going to take? And so I signed up and did that. And uh, actually, this week, I, all the coursework got sent in. It's finished. And I don't have my certificate yet, so I don't know if I passed. So I don't know if I have a master's. But there's a good chance that I, within a month, will have a master's. And then I'm going to go and get my doctorate. Yeah, and, and that sucked. <laughs> 11 years of suck. <laughs> but you made a decision with Adam and Adam. That was the only person making the decision there. Yep. This is what I'm going to do. I remember hearing a story years ago that, you know, when Steve Jobs, you know, 30 years ago said, hey, I'm going to create this handheld device computer that you're going to carry around with you everywhere. In fact, you're going to be digitally addicted. You're not going to be any more than three and a half feet away from this thing at any given time. You'll be able to call, text, send pictures and videos to anybody in the world. People would tell you you were out of your tree. But Steve Jobs says, I'm creating the iPhone because I said that I'm creating it. The end. Everything else is just noise. And you've been able to stay that course on there is obviously why you've been able to find success, not only just in the dating space, but with all of the ventures on there, but embracing what's that, what, what's the, the, the cheesy quote on the meme that says, uh, be brave enough to suck at something new. Yeah. And, and you know why I'm doing it? It's actually funny. I'll give you, even the mindset that's pushing me through. It's not any, none of you will guess it. It's not for any reason anyone here can guess. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting my doctor, or I, I will be signing, I've already signed up for the doctor, I start in a couple of months, and I'll be doing a, a doctorate of business. And so I'll be a PhD in, in business, which is, which is the big goal that I'm after. I thought it would always be psychology, I did my degree in psychology, but actually it turns out I prefer business and that's what I'll end up doing. I'm doing it for one reason, so that one day, you're going to love this, I'll be on a plane, and they'll be like, there's a medical emergency, is there a doctor on the plane? And I'll be like, <laughs> me. I'm going to walk up there. And they're going to go, what's your diagnosis, doctor? And I'm going to be like, it's going to be expensive. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what kind of a doctor are you? And I'm like, a doctor of business, medical is expensive in America. <laughs> and they're like, that's my official diagnosis. And they're going to you know, kick me off the plane. But, um, and it's funny, and, and you know, I'll give this to any of you that have a big goal that everybody else boo-boos. Don't make the goal to be successful. Don't make the goal to make money. Don't make the goal to be the best at something. If you do that, when you tell someone you're trying to be the best, there'll be somebody nearby you that will try and sabotage you. Someone nearby will not want you to be the success. When your goal is to do something really dumb, but you want to do it for the fun of it, everyone around you is be like, man, I'd love to see you do that. Let, yeah, let's, dude, this guy is going to become a doctor so we can make this stupid thing on a plane. Everyone help him be a doctor. It's going to be so funny. And then at the last minute, when you get a doctor and you do the thing, be like, now I've decided not to do that. Instead, I'm doing this other thing that's amazing that can only be done with me being a doctor. And everyone around you be like, oh, damn, I didn't see that coming. It's like, really? You thought the reason I was doing this was this stupid thing? But tell people, have the story in your head that's stupid. Don't, you don't even have to realize the big vision yet. That's okay. 
Um, you know, I love that quote by, uh, I think it's Baz Luhrmann, right? Which is, some of the most interesting people in the world have no idea what they're doing in their 20s. And the only people more interesting than them are the people who have no idea what they're doing in their 40s. It's totally okay to not have a super clear vision of the future, as long as you've got some kind of vision of what you're doing and moving towards and enjoying the process. And I think the reason I'm saying that is, I know a lot of people listening to this are gonna be like, I should have a podcast, because I was that guy. And then you may not do it. And I know this is a talk about sales and leads, because, and I think all of us are agreeing, one of the best ways to turn a lead into a sale is a podcast, and a podcast <laughs> is a great way to get leads. So if you're thinking, how can I generate more revenue in my business, this is something you should do. So for example, uh, there's a guy in the audience I think would be amazing at having a podcast. His name's Farhad. Um, Farhad's a good buddy of mine, so I'm shouting him out. And Farhad should have a podcast. Farhad has an incredible company. Uh, everyone here should use Farhad's company. I'll tell you what it does in a, in a single blow. If you're listening to the podcast, this is a shout out, but it's worth it. Farhad has invented a video hosting platform that cannot get censored. It's completely immune to any takedown or, or any anything. If you have video content and you're worried that someone's gonna take down that content, you, you put it with Farhad and it can't. Better yet, it's faster to upload than any of the competitors. He actually has speed tests against Vimeo and Wistia. It's faster. It's faster to download and watch, and it's got better features. So it, it's literally better than anything else out there, and it's, it's protected. You should have a podcast. And it's called Pie Piper, right? <laughs> so yeah, he's- that was, a nerd, that was a nerd joke, sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, so it, 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 VidStatic is, is actually what it's called, but um, Farhad's podcast should 100% be aimed at course creators and influencers. He should have a podcast that he hosts and he should film it just like we do once a month, film all the episodes in a day, interviewing course creators and influencers and people that wanna be course creators and influencers but specifically, people that are worried that their topic is controversial. And I know Farhad, I know he loves controversial topics. So he should be interviewing people that have strong views on politics, left and right. People that uh, deal with uh, kinky lifestyles. People that, you know, anyone who's got a controversial topic, he won't do illegal, illegal even, you know, that's like not happening. But anything that's controversial, where there is a chance you're gonna get censored in the media, Farhad should be interviewing. Because every guest on that podcast could potentially sign up for his service, and everyone listening who is then motivated to go and do that should sign up to his service. And so the reason I'm sharing that is, but the reason for doing it shouldn't be to make sales. Right. Shouldn't be to make money. It should be because he likes having controversial discussions with people that have unique views because he finds that fun. And when the podcast is done for that reason, the success is, in my opinion, uh, guaranteed. You're the best pitch guy ever. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. All right, so if somebody wants to listen or learn more from either of you two, where can they go? Uh, mine's pretty simple. It's uh, txbizdad.com. txbizdad.com. Yeah, any social media handles, that's, that's my handle on there. I, I did want to point out one last thing. Yeah. The theme today, as Brian said, is vulnerability. You know, And it, it takes vulnerability to start a podcast, but... What happens when you put yourself out there like that for 187 episodes, which I'm at now. Let's go. <laughs> um, you do. You strengthen that spine, just like Brian talked about. I, I loved your talk. I appreciate it. I, I remember the early days and uh, like the first couple of episodes. And he was like, this is because I, I said one well, first conversation. I go, you are my complete opposite. Like you are as introverted as possibly gets. 
Right. And every time I'd go, okay, here's what I need you to do. He's like, mm, I think there's a better way. I'm like, listen, introverted and hardheaded. I got it. That's my absolute specialty on here. But I promise you, I'm not steering you wrong here. And there was some growing into that role as a podcaster. But I would say by the time we launched, you were like, got it. Fast adapter. So uh, I, anywhere you can find me online, anywhere uh, you hang out, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, the most underrated, powerful platform on the planet. Uh, podcasts suck is my handle. And uh, if you've been thinking about starting a podcast, you've had that nudge, somebody's told you that you should, you keep thinking about it. That's more than enough reason to uh, give it a further conversation on there. So if you want to chat about what's possible with starting a podcast, uh, you can go to podcastlaunchlabnow.com. That's podcastlaunchlabnow.com. And that'll bring you right to my calendar to hop on with somebody on my team or myself. So we finish every episode by asking, what should smart businesses do? So uh, in a single sentence or paragraph, smart businesses do... Podcasts. <laughs> Smart businesses should listen to their customers. And Adam's fantastic at asking questions that help you find out what your customers want. You know what I mean? So smart businesses should listen to their customers. Thank you. And if you would like to find out what your customers want, you can go to thesmartblueprint.com forward slash gift, where you can download our seven-step sales process that includes permission-based sales and identifying customers' needs for sales. That is completely free. You just have to fill in a little market research survey. So please go to thesmartblueprint.com forward slash gift. That is the sponsor for the show. Thank you ever so much. Appreciate it for these guys. That's it for Smart Businesses Do This. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.